Good morning. Today is the 5th of September. I'm sorry, October. Last time I got that wrong as well, the date wrong. It is the 5th of October, 2018. Today is a Friday. Um, I'm not walking around. You might be able to tell that, or you might be able to notice a difference. It's just afternoon. Well, I guess it's good bit afternoon. It's 55 minutes past the hour of noon. It's almost one o'clock. Um, I'm not out walking around like I normally do because I've got really low battery life. So I have my recorder plugged into my computer so that I don't have to worry about battery life. It just gets uh, power from the computer. I don't know where I'm going to take this conversation, but I do know what I'm going to talk about. I know the subject that I'm going to talk about. I think I've talked about this before. I believe I have. I don't know if I've talked about it in a full... I don't know if I've made a full podcast out of this subject, or rather, I should. I, the way I should word that is, I don't know if I've made this subject, the one I'm going to talk about, a full podcast, and that subject is fear. My brother asked me recently, have you talked about fear? And I think I've touched on it, I'm pretty sure I have, but I don't know if I've talked about it at length. And that's what I want to, to do today. <clears throat> what, is, what is fear? Well, there are different kinds of fear. There are healthy kinds of fear and then there are unhealthy kinds of fear. And I think that pretty much everything that you have an opinion of can fall into one of those two categories. Or, or you might not be afraid of something at all, at least not, not on the surface value. For example, I'm not afraid of lions or bears or um, poisonous snakes. Seeing them, seeing a picture of, of, a, of any of those things, even though they could do me great harm, doesn't bother me. I can look at a picture and go, okay, that, that's fine. There are some people that have a phobia, uh, an irrational fear of things. My first girlfriend, she had a phobia. I, I guess you would call it a phobia, but she had an, an, an irrational fear of tornadoes to the point where she couldn't see a picture of one without it bothering her. And it's a still image. It clearly can't do anything to her. It's, it's you know, the side, it could be on a postcard or something and she'd be like, I, I just, I don't wanna look at that. I just, I, it bothers me. I don't know why. I thought that I could help her get over this. So I rented the movie Twister. She knew it wasn't, I didn't spring this as a surprise. Like, hey, we're gonna watch a fun movie. Oh, look at that. Oh, shit. No, I didn't do that. I told her and she said, okay, I'll try. But she couldn't handle it. She could not handle watching. She's just like, no, I don't, I just don't want to do this. That's an irrational fear. Some people have irrational fears about, I mean, pretty much anything you can imagine. Various number sequences, even. You know, there are people that have a fear of the number 13 or the number, any, any number. They just, oh, if, if there's 13 things stacked up and I count that, it just starts to bother me. There are people that have irrational fears of, 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 of dogs. Now, Irrational in that if they were to really break it down, they, they would most likely see that this fear isn't, the, the amount of power that this fear has over them is not beneficial to them. But it's rational 
on some degree because usually you have an opinion about something, a fear of something, because something happened. So even though you're an adult and you have, let's say, in a quote, irrational, in quote, fear of dogs, there would most likely, I can ima- I, I would assume, be a rational reason for that fear coming about. Maybe you were bit by a dog when you were younger and you've never really confronted that memory and, and never really delved into what happened there. So you just kind of always are afraid of dogs. I, thankfully, do not have any such fear. I, I don't have, there's, there's nothing that I can think of that really bothers me. In that, in that way, where if, if I see an image of something or or even hear something talking, somebody talking about something, it, it, it just kind of gives me anxiety. I used to have a fear of death. It used to make me very anxious, and I would just get... Well, if you know what anxiety is, that's what I would get. I had short of breath, and it felt like the whole world was kind of closing in on me. That doesn't happen anymore. Not, not, not at all. Every once in a while, I'll kind of my my consciousness will sort of halfway turn in that direction and I'll see it as an option but then as soon as I accept that that's a thing and I just go okay yep and then it and then it's gone it did it nowhere near like it used to be there are a lot of things that I am afraid of in a very rational and logical and healthy way such as when I cook breakfast in the morning I more often than not, pretty much every day that I cook breakfast, when I do or help my wife cook breakfast, I've, I've kind of been doing breakfast more recently, um, I'll use an iron skillet. And I am afraid, you could say, of burning myself. Because when I use the gas stove, it heats up the iron skillet, and if it's been on there for even five minutes or so, the handle will get very hot. So. That fear of burning myself and and touching a very hot skillet will inform my decision to use a hot pad. So I'm careful to use a hot pad. Um, When I'm taking something out of the oven, I use a hot pad. I have a respect, a respectful fear of a sharp knife. And so I'm careful to watch watch my hands and I'm careful to to not just go chopping away and just have my hand there. No, I, I have... A healthy fear of, of the damage that a sharp knife or even a dull knife can cause. I have a fear, you could say, of getting in a car accident and, and becoming terribly injured. So I wear a seatbelt and I, and I check my mirrors and I pay attention to traffic signals. And to this date, I have not been in a car accident. And I'd like to keep it that way. I like to think of myself as a very vigilant driver, continually looking around. My wife and I have made it a rule that we do not use our phones in the car, no matter what. Unless you're a passenger. If you're a passenger, that's different. But if you're driving, you do not use your phone at all. And if I think I've talked about this before. If, if we're on a longer trip, we ask that the other person, do the, the passenger, do everything, absolutely everything that they can. They change the radio station. They even lift up the the driver's drink and put it straight into their hand. The driver should be focusing on driving and nothing else. That is an enormous responsibility to have on you. 
if you're just doing a quick jaunt down the, the road to and the, the highest speed limit is 25 miles an hour and you're going a quarter of the mile or something well why aren't you walking that distance but whatever maybe you have to drop off a, a large package that'd be too clumsy to carry then maybe I will reach over and turn on the AC or, or roll down the window or something or well I'll do that even if I'm driving on a long trip because my wife can't reach over and that'd be that would be less helpful than it would be safe so I have a respect a healthy fear of, of a great number of things. I have this saying, it's kind of my, my, my motto, my life motto that I came up with. Oh, it's probably closing in on 10 years at this point. And it, I don't have the exact phrasing of it, but it, it's something like, and it's pretty much, I guess this is basically what it is, a life lived in fear isn't worth living. And what I mean by that, if it's not clear, is that if you're afraid of doing things, then it means that you're probably not doing those things. If I'm afraid to go on a trip somewhere, then I'm probably not going to go on that trip. Now, if you're confronting those fears, then that is absolutely a life worth living. But the unspoken part of that motto is that you're not confronting those fears, and that's what makes your life not worth living. A life is, life is full of things that can make you afraid, and that is evidence, or there is evidence of that in the number of things that people have phobias of. I mean, if you can think of a thing, there's probably somebody out there that has a phobia of that thing. I mean, it could be anything from a cardboard box to specific rocks that are in specific configurations. There are very specific fears that people have that prevent them from going about their day in a productive manner. You know, I can't go through a doorway if it opens inward. Okay, well, geez, how do you go through a lot of doors then? I mean, that's what, 50% of doors in the world? That's a, that's a lot of doors that you can't go through. So you, you need to figure out figure that out. Oh, I'm afraid of elevators, okay? Well, what if you need to get to the, the 50th floor of a building? Well, I take the stairs. Oh man, that sounds, I mean, I guess you're in better shape than a lot of people because of that, assuming this is something that you have to do regularly, but that seems like a, a problem. I'm afraid of dice. Oh, oh no. I mean, how do you ever play a game then? And, and why? Why are you even afraid of dice? The number one thing that I have been afraid of besides death in my life is leaving a place of comfort. People are kind of like, I, I imagine a hamster. It's made a little nook. It's, it's gathered its sawdust together and makes this little cozy little little nest and it crawls up in there and gets all comfy people do that in life they find a job that they're comfortable with it's, it's fine it's a fine job maybe it's not great but it, it pays enough to handle your bills the people aren't terrible you're not being verbally abused or physically abused on any sort of basis at all they're not people that you really want to hang out with but they're fine. They're, they're, they're not, you're not being hurt by them in any mental or physical way. The job, the work itself is fine. It's not exactly stimulating. 
It's not something that you are excited to do each morning. You drag your feet to work sometimes. It's just sort of, ugh, I mean, it's, it, it's whatever. It's a, it's a job. It pays the bills. Once you get in that position and it's good enough, oftentimes people are afraid to leave that position. A large reason that my wife and I left Seattle is because we were in that position and we, we wanted to challenge ourselves. We wanted to go, okay, we've got it. We're, we're good here. We have a place that we're living. We, we've got, both of us are, are, have solid jobs. We're, we're able to save up a, a, a good chunk of money. My wife was making more than $20 an hour. I was making almost $17 an hour between the two of us after bills and everything were, were said and done we were still able to save a thousand or more dollars a month and that was with not really even being exactly careful with spending that, that was easy to do I mean that was still us going and getting marijuana on a somewhat frequent basis like say once a month every 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 couple of weeks or something that was us um, uh, going to a movie that costs twenty-ish dollars per per visit for the two of us, you know, ten dollars a piece. Um, that was buying kind of anything that we wanted that wasn't extreme, and we were able to save up a lot of money. We were comfy. We were in a good spot. Things were going just dandy. And one of the reasons that we left. That, I mean, that was one of the large reasons that we left. It was, we, we, and this is a reason that we've told people, why did you leave Seattle? And we said it was too easy. It was too easy. And we were getting almost too comfortable. And so what we became afraid of, in a sense, was complacency and just being okay with that and, and not, not pushing ourselves to do anything challenging. And so we took on a, about a, a, as large of a challenge as you can without leaving the country. We went from one coast all the way to the other. I mean, from Seattle, Washington to Farmington, Maine, which is in the middle of the state in Maine. That's without going northwest to southeast. I mean, that's about as far as you can go. We could have gone all the way down to Florida, I suppose, and, that, and yes, that would have been further. But this wasn't, say, a trip down to Portland. This was a, a major life change. We packed up everything that we owned into a, a U-Haul trailer and traveled the country. It took us eight days, nine days, eight nights, something like that. That was a major change. That was, that was no joke. Turned out that that wasn't place for us the place that I had wanted to work at um, didn't seem like they wanted to have me and uh, so we left after having been there for a couple of months and now we're in May uh, Michigan we've left Maine we're in Michigan now and at this point we're wondering what we're going to do next. And I, I'm not, I know I'm not talking about fear, but what are we afraid of here? I don't, I don't know if fear is the right way to look at it. I don't, I don't know that I'm afraid of 
of anything here. I suppose on one hand, I'm afraid of succumbing to the mentality that is so pervasive here. And that is one of the best way that I can say it and the best in the way that I have said it multiple times to multiple people is that there's a pervasive sense of nihilism here. People just don't seem to care. They don't seem to, to give any kind of damn about much of anything. They, they look forward to the next time that they can get booze into their system, the next cigarette that they're going to have, the next little break. It, it, it seems like there's this just a, a why give a damn, who cares, what does it matter, why try mentality to the area. And that's not something that I want to be a part of. I don't want to have anything to do with that. I read something just recently. It was, uh, I don't know, it was online somewhere, somewhere, and it's, it was something like the, the, the X amount of words, I don't remember how many it was, like 12 words or something, that had more impact on Tim Ferriss' life than anything else. And, and reportedly, Tim Ferriss, who's a podcaster, he's worth, I don't know, 50 to $100 million dollars, couple multiple New York Times bestseller books super popular podcast um, he he has this he had this wrestling coach and apparently this is this is what the article told me I don't know if this is true or not but the but the article said that Tim Ferris had this wrestling wrestling coach and the wrestling coach said to Tim Ferris you are the average of the five people that you spend your time with the most so that's not saying that I had to think about that, what it, what it meant for a second. But basically what it means is that you're in the middle of five people, figure out who you spend the time with around the most, and you will be sort of the the distillation of all of them. You will kind of, everything will kind of, pieces of them will fall in that and you'll be them. So if you hang out with, with homeless people, then there might be people that are worse off than you and a couple that are better off than you. So you're the average of those homeless people. But if you're at the top of your game, like let's say you're Bill Gates, he probably hangs around people that are also really wealthy people. Paul Allen, Jeff Bezos, Warren Buffett. So he's the average of those super wealthy people. If you're an athlete, you're the average of the other athletes that are around you. There are going to be a couple that are better than you and a couple that are a little bit worse than you. In all aspects. Now, I don't really hang around a whole lot of people. My wife and I, we, we don't have a large circle of friends. But I am in a city, and I am around those people. And I do not want to become the average of mediocrity. I do not want to become the average of a place where people don't care. If you surround yourself with people that are trying really hard and they're working hard towards things and they have goals and they're reaching for for different for new heights and they're and they're trying to take on new challenges then you will be influenced by that you will be kind of swept along with them you can you can you can join those kind of people or you can avoid those kind of people that's that's obvious look around you there there are people that have have joined all kinds of different groups. There are people that have joined the homeless begging group, and maybe you are 
the average at getting money for the day. But then there's other people that have joined a band and, and maybe you're the average of the band members. Maybe you've joined a chess playing club or, or a speed cubing club for Rubik's Cube completion. It doesn't matter what things you're interested in. Something that I have difficulty with in breaking down is how do you know what you're actually interested in? For example, I've been interested in learning a language for quite some time. I've wanted to learn a second language. And this is, this is something I've talked about multiple times. And I thought for a while that it made the most sense for me to try and learn Spanish. And I, and I thought I was interested in Spanish, but it turns out that I, I really wasn't. And the way that you find out what you're actually interested in is you look at your actions. You look at what you do. So if I say that I'm interested in learning Spanish, but then I don't put any work in towards learning Spanish, how interested in Spanish am I actually? It doesn't make any sense. If I say that I dislike being an angry person, but I'm commonly finding myself in an angry state of mind, then I'm not being honest. I'm, I'm lying. I clearly do like being angry. You can't listen to what somebody says. You have to look at their actions. If you look at, at my actions throughout a day, you would be able to see that Dell is interested in writing, at least to some degree. Not as much as some people, and certainly more than other people. He writes a story every single day. Okay? He's interested in writing somewhat. He's interested in in his health and in, in being in, in, in decent shape. He works out on a, on a fairly regular basis, not every single day, but most days and the days that he doesn't work out, he the days that he's not lifting weights, that is, he's doing something else. He's stretching. He's, he's I guess, doing, maybe he'll do a yoga session. Okay. He meditates every day, so he cares about his, ment his mental ability and his mental stability You could do this for yourself and you can figure out what you actually care about. And then you can go, okay, is there anything there that I want to tweak? Do I care about things that are not actually beneficial for me? And then you have to not just say that you're gonna do something different, you actually actually you have to actually do something different. But sometimes we're afraid to do something different because it's comfortable to do the same thing. You know what that thing is. You know what that job is. You know what that kind of food is. So you just go back to it a time and time and time again. Doing something new, trying something new can be scary. And oftentimes it is. Because it comes with the risk of you not liking it and then thinking, well, I just wasted time. Why did I ever try that thing? Why did I ever attempt something different when I could have just stayed with what already worked? I went out and I bought this new kind of pasta because I thought it might be better than the other pasta that I, that I always get, which I already like. Here's the, 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 the problem with that way of thinking, is that if you're always thinking that the thing that, you, that you're trying will be better, then you've already set yourself up for failure, for, for potential 
disappointment. Because if I like brand green of a certain sparkling water, let's let's be more specific than that. I like Perrier, the sparkling water. It's 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 a it's a good brand. And I see I go to the store one day and I see they've got Perrier, but they also have San Pellegrino and they've got LaCroix and they've got they've got a few different sparkling waters and I'm thinking, hmm, I wonder if one of those other sparkling waters is better than Perrier. You know what? I'm gonna try San Pellegrino today. Maybe it's better than Perrier. And I buy it and I drink some and I go, hmm, that's not better. I don't like it. Now that's that's my opinion. And honestly, I, I, I don't really give a damn between the two. I, I don't know if I'd even be able to tell the difference. Um, I'm just giving an example here. So I'm not truly speaking poorly of San Pellegrino. I, I think they're both fine. But let's just say I go, oh, no, I don't like this one. I don't like San Pellegrino. No, no, it's not for me. I just wasted, I wasted $2. I wasted $2 here on this bottle when I could have just bought the one that I, I liked. I wasted my, my, my time buying this. I wasted my money buying this. And, and now I don't even know if I want to finish this. So I'm going to have to go and spend more money to buy the one that I actually like. Ugh, what a waste. I should have just stuck with the one that I like. If you like a particular movie series or, or maybe it's a, a Netflix show and, and you go and uh, there's, there's multiple seasons of, of some show that, that you like. You're watching, I don't, I don't know, some show. And... Netflix recommends some other show, and you go, eh, all right, you know, I'll, I'll take a break from this one, and I'll give this other one a shot. So you watch an episode of it, and you go, ugh, I didn't like this. I thought it would be better, or I thought it would be at least as good, and I don't like it at all. Things are going to be different. They're always going to be different. And if you're always looking for something that's better, and if you're, you're, you're disappointed if, if it's not better, then that's a mistake. Instead... If you just look at it for what it is and go, okay, I didn't like this Pellegrino. I didn't like the this, this, this San Pellegrino. Now I know that. That's not bad. It's not good. It just is. You just know that you don't like that one as much as the Perrier. And then do you try something else next time? Do you try something different? Do you go, okay, now I'm going to try this this uh, polar ice. I'm going to see how that is. Oh, okay. That one's okay. That one's fine. I don't, I don't know if I like it better or worse, but now I know that that's another option out there. If you have a favorite restaurant that you go to and you, and you regularly go to that one, and then one day you think, you know what? I'm going to try this other restaurant, and it turns out that it's really good. Well, now you've got a couple of options because you already like the other one, and now maybe you like this one in a different way. Maybe the other one's a Mexican restaurant, and this is an Italian restaurant. And you go, hey, I, I like them both, so... Now I know that I, if, I, if I'm feeling like pasta, I'll go to the Italian one. And if I'm feeling like tacos and quesadillas, I'll go to the Mexican one. Trying things out is the only way that you'll know what things you want to incorporate into your life. And not trying things out because of fear, letting fear stop you from doing something is, well, it's... It's not helpful. It'll stop you from doing things. Fear of failure will cause a great number of problems. And I think that is probably what gets in the way of, of a lot of people a lot of the time. I got contacted recently. Somebody saw one of my stories that I wrote. Uh, I wrote a Magic the Gathering inspired story 
shared it with Reddit. A guy saw it, contacted me on Twitter, asked me if he wanted if I would like to write a story for the, his website or his group or whatever. And I said, okay. After some back and forth, I I asked him what he w- would want because at first he just said, hey, would you want to like be involved with what I do? And I was like, well, what do you, what do you mean? Like, what do you what do you want exactly? He's like, oh, I got to think about it. Like, okay, well, when, once you figure that out, let me know because. I don't know how to say yes. It'd just be like somebody coming up to you and be like, hey, do you want to do things? Okay, what what things? I don't know. I'll let you know. Oh, okay, well, let me know. So he brainstormed a little bit. He figured out, hey, how about if you write a, a, a weekly story, we'll call it Flavorful Fridays or Flavor Friday or something like that. And it'll be a Magic the Gathering inspired story for... Friday, Friday night magic is a common thing, so people go to read a story, they go to play magic that night, whatever, whatever. Do you want to do it? Well, does it pay anything? Is there compensation here? No, there's no compensation. Huh. All right, well, sure, let's see. I'll do it. I'll give it a go. Let's see if, uh, if it pushes any traffic my way. So I agreed to doing a month of these stories, four stories. And at the end of that month, come early November, I'll see if it's done anything. Has it pushed traffic to to my website? Have, has it helped? Has it helped me out at all? That's one more story that I have to write each week. Right now, I'm writing seven stories a week, and this is one more story. So it's eight stories a week now. It's not a huge commitment, but it's not something that's insignificant either. It's not just Oh, I'm asking you to scratch your head in the morning. Okay, I, I can surely do that. The only way that I got that opportunity, not that it's anything, it's not some sort of life-changing thing on its own, but it could lead to something that is life-changing. For example, who knows what doing this could lead to? I didn't know what writing my daily stories could lead to, but I had an idea that doing them at all could lead to something. Or, the, or let me reword that. The chances of me writing a daily story leading to something was much greater than me not writing a daily story. If I just sat around at home and and diddled my thumbs and and picked my nose and and worked out and didn't write a daily story then nobody can read the story i mean nobody can read the story that you don't write so i thought you know what i'm just going to do this i'm going to write a story and at first it was once every day except saturday and sunday and then after a couple of weeks of that or maybe it was a month or so i said you know what no excuses, no, no no days off, every single day, Monday through Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every single day, you write a story. And I've stuck to that with only a couple exceptions, and I've made up for those times, the, day, the couple of days that I haven't written a story, I've gone back and written two the, the following day. So for the past, I don't know how many months now, but I've written an, an average of exactly one story a day. I think a couple, I think it's more like 
1.001 or something like that because a, a couple of times I've written a, a, an additional story just because the, the mood struck me or I saw a couple of pieces are like boy I can't pick between these two so I'll just write one for both now I could have not done that because oh nothing could happen this might not lead to anything and, and, and I'm afraid that this, this, this is stupid and people think it's bad but the feedback that I have gotten from the artists whose whose stories that I I use as inspiration or that I, that inspire me I don't I don't know if I how to word that correctly I'm not using as, them as inspiration I'm just inspired by them the, the the artists that have responded have done so in a positive way like pretty much a hundred percent there hasn't been a single artist that had said that's garbage I don't want you using my art in that way please take that down there was one person from I don't know where somewhere in I think in China or something that asked me to take the picture down because I'm not I don't remember why but I I, um, I think there might have been a little bit of a, a communication breakdown on something but I did so I, I, I understood that they wanted the picture taken down I, I don't know if I really understood why it was kind of unclear but that's that's kind of besides the point they asked me to do a thing and I took it down but that's one story out of something like 250 now at this point. That's pretty good odds. If, that's, if, if that continues, then that's, say, four, maybe five stories out of a thousand. And many artists have asked, you know, can I share this? Like today or your yesterday's story I wrote, an artist just asked, can I share this? Of course you can share it. Please do. I've had an artist share my stuff on, on his Twitter account. I've had two people contact me now for various things. The one that I told you about, writing the daily Magic the Gathering story, and, and another one, a project that I haven't talked about at all, because I'm not really sure what's happening there. But those opportunities would never have come about if I was afraid to write and, and, and stopped writing because of... of, of irrational fears oh there's no point to do this why bother I'm not gonna do it I don't really know what else to talk about on the subject of fear but the way you confront a fear isn't in my experience in a gung-ho brash way you have to do it in a thoughtful careful way so if you're afraid of leaving the job that you have but you really think that you should because it doesn't pay you all that much or it's just not a great job the way to confront that fear isn't by jumping off the cliff and what I mean by that is you don't just quit your job what you do is you start looking on Craigslist you say I'm gonna look on Craigslist to see what jobs are posted I'm gonna do it once a day I'll just go to posted today and look to see what was posted you do that for a while and then maybe you start sending out a couple resumes you fill out a couple applications and if you keep on doing that if you were to fill out one resume a week or send out one resume a week I should say that's 52 a year if you follow up with some of them the chances of you getting an interview are pretty decent at 52 a year and if you get some interviews that let's say you get a tenth of that you get five interviews the chances of you being offered a job after a year of doing this 
are pretty decent. It's, it's not bad. If you already got one job, then the chances of you being able to get another job are pretty good for most people. You just have to, it's like anything, you just take one step at a time. How, how do you get to the top of the mountain? You don't jump to the top, you one foot in front of the other, in front of the other. That's how you confront your fears. If you're afraid of elevators, you don't just go running into the elevator and slam the button to the top floor. You first, you go into the lobby and you watch the elevator from a very far distance, from as far as you, you need to be to be comfortable. And then you move up a step. If you can't do a step, then you move up half a step. And then you do that and you watch from there. And you do that and you do that and then you do that and you get, get closer until eventually you're right up next to the elevator, okay? All right. It's exposure therapy. It works for all kinds of fears. It works for fears of physical things and it works of, for things of a, of a non-physical nature. I don't know if that made any sense. I don't know if that helped anybody at all, but uh, I hope you have a good day. I'm going to call things quits here. And um, don't let fear get in the way of of your entire life. It won't. It won't be something that you're happy about in the long run. All right. I love you.